1: the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast my name is Mike I'm here with Sam Sam how you doing yo uh,
2: good morning after a a tough loss obviously we didn't record right after that game for obvious reasons Um, it's always nice to record with a clear head so I have a lot to say about the game I'm sure you do too but like the the sky is not falling this morning and and it shouldn't be from any of your guys perspectives either to be honest
1: yeah, I mean, it seems like it is for a lot of people. I, I, <laughs> Maybe we tends... can talk them off the ledge uh, over the next hour <laughs> yeah, or so. That tends to happen, I think, after after big games in general. I mean, this game obviously in particular is uh, the loss to the Lakers uh, can lead into playing the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs. Maybe not, by the way. I know a lot of people are sort of just thinking it's going to happen, but we'll talk about the chances of it happening at some point in this episode as well. So people are just kind of freaking out in that way because it's it's sort of... It's the Suns' luck. The Suns have had bad luck over the years. So they're looking at it as we finally make the playoffs. Now we're playing the defending champs who could potentially be fully healthy in the playoffs. And I think that's a fair thing to be a little bit concerned about. I've been concerned about it for a few weeks now. Uh, we've talked about it on episodes on YouTube and uh, this podcast, whatever it is on Twitter. Uh, we'd like to avoid them in the first round if there's any possible way. So we'll see if it does end up happening. There's only one week left in the season, Sam. We're getting close. Yeah, and, and I really kind of just want to hit the skip button here and fast forward. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm.
2: e- even so, they're playing some good teams this week. Actually, they're playing a couple teams that it's like, look, the Lakers are probably going to be our first-round matchup, we can say now. Like, it's
1: re- it's really probably an 80%, 90% okay, chance wait, at let's, this point. Okay, no, no, no. Well, let's talk about that. Okay, all right. <laughs> If the Suns are locked in the two seed, which I think they basically are at this point, right? It's there's like a ninety percent chance, right? There's
2: yeah, there's like a nine to ten percent chance. Supposedly, this is all according to the the big data people over at five thirty eight. Um, there's like a nine or ten percent chance that they could still leapfrog Utah for the one seed based on win
1: probabilities, team strength, data, all that, yada yada. Um, it's probably not gonna happen. Bottom so the line. if that happens, if the Suns are in, in the two seed, that means that they play the winner of seven versus eight. Right now, that would be Warriors versus Lakers. Are you convinced that the Lakers are a guarantee to beat the Warriors in a single game format like that? I'm not really convinced of that. No, absolutely not. I'm not convinced
2: at all. But uh, I mean, it's the defending champs. Uh, the The thing is, like the Warriors are actually kind of the perfect team for for from our vantage point for them to take on because... Curry's shot variance, I mean, the, the leaps that he can take in any single game are so high that he could absolutely swing a game and and, and win against them, but they're still going to be underdogs. I mean, it's still probably like, again, I'm just kind of shooting from the from the hip here, but a
1: 60-70% chance for the Lakers in that game, I would guess? Like, don't you think? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I genuinely am not sure. The reason I'm not sure, obviously... Steph Curry. I don't think that the Lakers have a distinct officiating advantage that the Lakers tend to have against other teams when they're playing against the Warriors, uh, because the Warriors are also sort of a premier franchise in the NBA, and and they have superstar, uh, the, one of the biggest superstars in the NBA as well. So I just don't feel like they have that specific advantage. And just like you said, that the Warriors are like Suns, Suns fans will become instant Warriors fans. For that specific game, because playing against the Warriors is a better situation, especially if that means the Lakers end up against the Jazz. Because for those who don't know, just once again to recap how the play-in will work: the two seed will play the winner of seven verse eight. The loser of seven verse eight will play the winner of nine verse ten, and then that team that plays. So the loser of seven verse eight versus the winner of nine nine verse ten will play the one seed. So the Lakers, if they lose against the Warriors in the seven verse eight, the Suns play the Warriors. And then they could win against uh, whoever comes out of Spurs-Memphis, I think is what it is now. And then that that team would end up against the one seed. So I'm not fully convinced. Like, I'm not... I just want to see it play out first. And it's tough for us. Like, we're trying to plan a playoff (laughs) preview (laughs) episode for this podcast. And it's going to be a drastically different... An analysis. I think if the Suns end up against the Warriors instead of the, the Lakers, and the Lakers still have a very small chance, but still have a chance to end up the sixth seed, and then it would be either the Trailblazers or the Warriors in the first round, which is not that different <laughs> as far as the Suns, uh, yeah. because they're just drastically, they're they're similar teams, but drastically different than the Lakers. I point
2: out, by the way, so much has changed since we released that video on YouTube of like what's the ideal playoff seeding this was yeah. last week that the Suns should want. Um, it, you got to focus on the first round, obviously. So we're gonna talk mm-hmm. a lot about the Lakers and and getting through the Lakers. Just just that much is is gonna be a bitch. But let's say you do get past them for a second. Um, it's looking increasingly likely that uh, the Clippers are locked into the third seed too. I don't think Denver's gonna catch them. I mean, they could, they could. It's there's still a chance. But uh, yeah, it's it's increasingly looking like. Uh, the Suns will have the hardest road (laughs) in the playoffs it's it's like a Lakers first round Clippers second round type of thing which is just like makes the idea of a a deep playoff run for this team start to sound like it could be something that's legendary if they pull it off but it's going to be very very difficult we're not going to catch any breaks uh, probably
1: yeah and the Nuggets aren't much of a break in that scenario with the way that they're playing right now anyways you know obviously Jamal Murray being gone affects that team but Michael Porter Jr. is averaging like 25 points per game since that happened, and and they seem to have not even lost a step in any way, so they're playing really well too. So it's you know that's the thing about the West is is it's tough. The Suns are still the two seed. The Suns have still won more games than all of those teams outside of Utah, who tends to not really scare us in any way, and even still would not be matched up against us until the Western Conference Finals. So you know there is it's a weird thing where. If the Lakers... Say the Lakers do end up against the Suns in the first round. I mean, does that... That automatically makes the Suns the underdogs. Maybe the first time ever that a two-seed is an underdog in that matchup. Is that right?
2: Uh, I would have had to do the research. I don't know. Certainly, they, they were talking about it on the NBA TV broadcast last night. Mm-hmm. Of They brought up, like, this is, you know, the, that Knicks team. Um, that sparked, like, Ewing theory. I was, I was really young at that point. So, I didn't watch those finals live. But that was, like, 99. Um... Was the first eight seed to go to the finals, right? The Heat last year, obviously, mm-hmm. or they were the first ones to win. Um, the Heat last year were the first six seed in a while uh, to to go to the finals. Although I think, yeah, they're, but they were I, never favored.
1: Like a lot. I mean, no, maybe no, no, they were never were favored. picking them, but yeah, but, you know, but I, they I,
2: I, were. My, my point is, they were just bringing up like those teams alongside this Lakers team of being like, yeah, they've got like normally you discount lower seeds, but not this year for for obvious reasons. I think there's another was uh, Dirk's Mavs. Yeah, Were they a high seed? I can't remember. I shouldn't yeah, talk they about were, this without having I think having they were the, the number
1: one seed, and they lost to the We Believe Warriors, as they're Oh, called. no, no, no.
2: I meant the, uh, the the Mavs that won in 2011. Oh, I thought okay. Yeah, I don't remember what the they were I thought they were somewhere 5-8, through eight, but I could be totally wrong.
1: I feel like they had home court. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I, too. I don't wrong. remember that. What a legendary run that we've just forgotten about. I mean, that's like the best example of what the Suns could do. <laughs> you know, like if you're if you're gonna draw any parallels to the Suns making it to the finals, it would be with that team because it's just it would be sort of Chris Paul's last chance to do it. Which, in a lot of ways, that was Dirks um, and Jason but, Kidds and Jason and Kidd, Jason yeah. Terry's and and Sean. That team is fucking old. Tyson wow. Chandler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tyson I'm Chandler. looking at him now. Yeah, that was yeah. a great team. Yeah, the Suns are a lot younger. That's a good point. Uh, But this week was interesting even outside the Lakers. We're going to get to that, of course. But there was an overtime win against Cleveland that I thought was just fascinating. Another good week for Mikael Bridges, but that was like the main game where we really saw how he could affect a game in a fascinating way. Close all game. Went to overtime because Okoro just did everything he possibly could as a rookie. And then... They showed their youth a little bit there and the Suns just demolished them. I just wanted to at least shout it out in this podcast because we didn't record after that uh, game and Mikhail was amazing in that game. And it was really fun. It ended up being a really fun ending to that game. Did you have any thoughts on that one? I mean, it was really just the Mikhail Bridges takeover and overtime is the only
2: thing that I think has lasted Keep in mind, it was a week ago now, so it's not exactly fresh in our memories anymore. Yeah. Mikhail in, in general, man, he's he's riding a streak of eight straight games in double figures uh, for scoring right now, and not just double figures. Like A lot of these games are 15-plus are points for him. He's averaging 17 points per game in the month of May, 59% shooting from the field. He's hitting his threes, and, and in that game... Obviously, we've talked so much recently about Mikhail Bridges with the flashes of, of mid-range scoring and self-created uh, stuff that's that's so appealing because you kind of think about the projecting towards the future when you see that. But in that Cavs game, he, he wasn't dominating on the ball. He just took over defensively, made a bunch of impactful steals, deflections, blocks uh, in overtime, shut down Okoro when he needed to, um, and then hit the right corner threes at, at timely moments. and. Just doing that, uh, he he basically single-handedly led the Suns to victory in overtime.
1: Yeah, a fascinating one, and just one of those games that you'll just remember for being uh, the just Bridges takeover, (laughs) and that was really fun, and I think that schedule loss against Atlanta the next day, (laughs) there's nothing really to learn from that. One thing I will say about Atlanta is that the Suns have a soft spot in their defense that Atlanta takes advantage of, and that's and I think Cleveland did too, to be honest. And that's teams that can make that sort of 15-foot floater, uh, sort of off-dribble. The Suns struggle to defend that because they play a drop defense and Aiton is very good at tagging the roll man on pick and rolls. So you tend to shut down the lob threat there. And that's a very difficult shot that Trey Young has mastered. So teams that are good at making that sort of short floater Will take advantage of that specific soft spot in the Suns' defense, uh, especially when they're good at drawing fouls. The way that I was about
2: to, I was about to say, you know, people want to complain about the officiating last night. Whatever, we'll talk about it. But I mean, Trey's like the best in the league uh, at at baiting people in that specific spot. Yeah, he sucks. He's he's annoying. (laughs) He's just (laughs) he gets you on
1: on your back. Yeah, I mean, he's great, but. Uh, yeah, it's he's tough. so good. And and that was, you know, I, even even if they were, the Suns were rested in that game, I think they would have struggled a little bit with that specific team uh, just because of that. Uh, obviously, there's ways to game plan around that. And, and there's not actually a lot of teams that will do that against the Suns in the Western Conference. Like James Harden is also very, very good at that specific shot, and you're not going to run into him in the West anymore. Steph is pretty good at it, but that's not where he's focused on scoring. So if the Suns end up against the Warriors, it's a whole different, a a trapping game plan most likely against the Warriors, force the rest of the team to beat you in that case. Mm -hmm. But the next two games, I think they're sort of, to me, they go hand in hand, right? The Knicks and the Lakers, and the reason the Knicks and the Lakers games go hand in hand for me is that they're both incredible defensive teams that that came into these games very, very focused with a Game plans specifically designed to attack the Suns. And the game plans, I think, were incredibly similar. But the difference between the Knicks and the Lakers is the personnel. The personnel is drastically different. The Lakers have Anthony Davis. And the difference, the what they did, just to sort of recap it and set the scene here, is they trapped Devin Booker. They, mm-hmm. they made efforts to take the ball out of Devin Booker's hands as much as possible. And that forces uh, the rest of the team... Uh, to beat you. With the Knicks, when they're trapping Devin Booker, generally the two best defenders are, are trying to be on him at all times. What I think the Lakers do that's pretty fascinating is they don't really put Anthony Davis on ball that much, and that's the main difference. So when you're trapping Devin Booker in that case, that means that the sort of free safety, the extra defender that's sort of prowling is Anthony Davis, and that's a massive difference between the Lakers and the Knicks, and I think that's where the Suns struggled. In the Knicks game, they found ways to really exploit that which I think you can do against the Lakers as well with the proper game plan but the Knicks game it ended up with a sort of late blowout for the Suns after Mm -hmm. a couple of defensive adjustments were made but yeah Yeah. that's how I look at both of those games no I'm glad you mentioned that I mean really the difference there I think
2: uh the Suns were mostly doing similar stuff on offense I want to give the Knicks credit actually they they weren't at all but it's kind of nuanced so um, (laughs) I'm thinking about how I want to get into it. Um, I want to give the Knicks credit. They did a fantastic job of denying both Paul and Booker shot attempts in general. So, I mean, the Lakers did a good job too, but in that game, the um, Paul and Booker combined for only 25% of the Suns field goal attempts. If you can take a, the two lead ball handlers on the opposite team and hold them to only a quarter of, of the total shot volume, that's, that's amazing. It's just proof that the trapping worked, but I think, where the game started to break down for the Knicks as as the game went on the Suns just did a fantastic job of uh, it's it's a cliche to say but the best offense is um, or the easiest offense you're going to get is through good defense you got to get stops and so it was really when I'm glad you mentioned the the defensive adjustment the tactical move by Monty Williams to begin trapping and in some case hard hedging um Derek Rose and other ball handlers on the Knicks but mostly Rose in the second half of that game is what turned the game around. And once the Suns were able to get those stops, they were able to get out in transition. The Suns, they're not a fast-paced team, but when they do get out in transition, they're a very efficient transition team. I mean, they've got Mikael Bridges. They've got, um, in in theory, Cam Johnson can spot up on that wing. I know he's been struggling as of late. Um, But they've got guys who can be useful um, in their transition offense. And so they were really able to just start breaking down the Knicks. They scored 38 points in that fourth quarter and held the Knicks to only 17. It was, um, I think, one of the biggest success stories from a tactical perspective that we've seen mm-hmm. from Monty this year, just in terms of talking about how resilient they were.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, it's funny. I was just talking about that floater area. Derek Rose is also very good at that. That's actually a good example of a player that also has hurt the Suns over and over and over again uh, with that little short jumper short floater. And, uh, and you saw them do something different in that. And I thought what was interesting is they were doubling Randall if he caught the ball below the three-point line just immediately on the catch and then still finding ways to trap. And that's like an ultra, ultra, ultra aggressive defense that uh, teams don't always employ. Teams that do employ that, uh, the Raptors, you know, a Nick Nurse coach team, the Heat tend to do that a lot. And then the Lakers, we saw them do the exact same thing with uh with Devin Booker so it was a very similar thing to that and I thought yeah you're right a good adjustment but it takes really smart defenders to do that and uh, you kind of hope that uh, the other team makes bad decisions moving the ball around which the Knicks did tend to do and the Lakers just didn't the Lakers just continually played very well uh against any sort of defensive adjustment Anthony Davis you know you the the Suns were doubling him in the post or in the high post and he was, um, they were moving the ball in the right way. Yeah. And, and that's, I, what, that's what the Sun struggled with. So if,
2: we, are we just, are we into Lakers conversation we can probably, now? Yeah, is we can, this, let's get is into this it. How we've officially transitioned. Like that's where <laughs> I, I start to get frustrated. I mean, I, I, I want to preface by saying, I want to talk people off the ledge offensively. What happened last night doesn't really concern me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I think we've heard people say something to the effect of monty didn't want to show his cards from a million different people yesterday on twitter uh but i think all of all of them who said it are like that's exactly what happened um our friend david nash obviously was uh was tweeting about that i know he already rewatched the game and was looking specifically he's done in-depth breakdowns before on the sun's elbow set that's when they have the, the the two bigs at the elbows uh on the court and the two players in the corner you you can i'll i'll post it on twitter you should know what I'm talking about by now, but the Suns were not um, running; a, they just weren't running a lot of their usual sets on offense. Um, and I, I am inclined to believe that that is more likely to be a, a situation of Monty not tipping his cards towards the opposition, giving them free scouting essentially a week before a potential playoff series. Because it's one; it is one thing to scout a player off your laptop screen or a projector or whatever in the locker room. It's another thing to to get the scouting 100%. in front of your eyes and get to really practice your processing speed in terms of reacting to what they're doing. Um, so I think you know it's likely that that's what was happening with the Suns, not that they suddenly switched their strategy. Offensively, we can talk about all sorts of things that they did do on offense and, and what concerns us and what doesn't, but I'll just say off the bat, what happened offensively last night does not concern me. Defensively, though... There were yeah. a lot of concerns. There were a lot of concerns. And, and I think be- the reason the defense concerned me and the offense didn't is because when you talk about the defense, it comes down to more of just a natural, inherent, physical advantage that the Lakers have. Anthony Davis, it helped that he had one of the, one of the best games uh, of his season, and the Suns just did not have an obvious answer for him. You talked about how they were trapping him. The traps they were throwing at him were pretty pretty weak. And the execution was consistently pretty terrible, so we can get into it, but um, stopping them on defense is kind of going to be the bigger challenge and and the bigger thing that I take going forward.
1: Well, I mean, one of the things that the Lakers did really well on traps is just pick on Devin Booker's man. (laughs) Because what happened in a lot of cases is Devin Booker was on the weak side. Yes. And he just shaded off of his man too much. And he so, tends to do that. He's a ball watcher. They move the ball two or three times, find Devin Booker's man, whoever he's supposed to be guarding. And he's got yeah. an extra foot and a half of space compared to every other player. And that's on, you know, that's the type of thing that you watch on film that can be corrected. That's my, that's
2: one of my big things. I mean, it was just the fact, you know, they did a great job on Randall the other night. In this mm-hmm. game, though mm-hmm. Anthony Davis had five assists, all five assists were to three point shooters. Yeah. So he alone, it it was it was a pick your poison throughout the night because there were we we say that they trapped Anthony Davis, but if you go back and watch the game, because I did, I didn't watch the whole game, but I watched at least. I I really wanted to key in on where Davis was touching the ball and yeah. what he was doing with it. There were significant stretches of the game where where the Suns were just trying to guard him with single coverage. Didn't matter who it was, it could have been Frank Kaminsky, could have been Torrey Craig predictably those guys were eaten alive but then he also had five assists to three-point shooters all five of those assists were exactly when you think they would be when he got trapped in the post that's 15 points created and as you just mentioned a lot of those cases I don't I don't remember how many exactly but at least two or three of them were to Devin Booker's man because he was not in the right place off ball so you know the big thing is double if you think the double is going to work for you, it's going to be harder to double him in the post with LeBron James, that's for sure. So that's another thing we got to scout. But if the double is going to come, it has to be animated. It has to be energetic. It can't just be like this kind of weak, yeah, I'm here, but I'm not really here type thing. Yeah. And um. And, and you know what? It's, it's fair to say, hey, the Lakers made a lot of tough shots that they don't usually make. I think that is totally valid if you want to take that away from last night's game. They are, as a matter of fact, 21st in the NBA in three-point shooting percentage. So, you know, I, I'm not necessarily worried that you go into a series and KCP and Wes Matthews and uh, a couple other guys, can't remember anyone else at the moment, are going to shoot 40 plus percent for the entire series. That's fair if you don't think that's going to happen. Um, but they got to do a much better job of getting out and contesting shots. They just they 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 didn't execute last night.
1: Yep, I, I agree. And, I you know, we're talking about Monty saving stuff. I agree that that was happening to the point that Torrey Craig still started. Like They didn't even start Jay Crowder in this game. Jay Crowder, actually, if you look at plus-minus, I know I know uh, how that works, and I know some people don't <laughs> like it. But if you look at the plus-minus alone, the Suns were not outscored when Jay Crowder was on the floor. And, and I think he's still on a slight minutes restriction, so that's part of it. But I also think they still could have started him uh, to try and show uh, their cards a little bit more, and they didn't. They still started Torrey Craig. That's not going to happen in the playoffs. I can tell you right now. Jay Crowder will be starting for this team in the playoffs, especially if it's against the Lakers when they need somebody to match up against LeBron. Hopefully not 100% LeBron, where Jay Crowder might have somewhat of a defensive advantage compared to a normal uh, normal game. But yeah, I think what's especially tough, like, do you think, Sam, do you think that there's any chance that the Suns do try to go big against... The Lakers, because I think one thing that they do that is tough, it just makes them especially tough, is that they're starting Drummond right now with Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis ends up with a guy on him. He takes a lot of contested mid-range shots, which is sort of what you want, but he makes a lot of them. The thing is, is if he misses them, right? If you want DeAndre guarding Anthony Davis, then you have Andre Drummond on the other end collecting that offensive rebound. Of course. And there's not a lot of teams that pose this specific problem. I know. It's It's not just that they have a, another center on the floor capable of getting the offensive rebound. It's that they have one of the best rebounders, if not the best, in the NBA collecting those rebounds. Oftentimes, I talk about rebounds as a stat. Offensive rebounds are different. Those are killers. Like That's an extra possession. Uh, that's, a, that's as important as it can get. And if you have DeAndre Ayton guarding AD, which is probably the best matchup for the Suns, especially if LeBron's on the floor and you can't put Jay Crowder on AD... Then they're they're getting those rebounds. Do you think the Suns even should just sort of maybe put Sharice on AD or on, on uh, Drummond there? They're both AD. Funny enough, and then well, you know DeAndre Ayton on AD. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I don't I don't know what to do with Sharice these days. Uh, to be perfectly frank, uh, uh, well, actually, to be perfectly frank, Frank played a lot last night. That's kind <laughs> of sorry. That's <laughs> had to do it. That's kind of a. I mean 25 minutes for Frank Kaminsky these days is a lot of time yeah so so they were doing that. Andre Drummond here's what I'll say he doesn't scare me as as a, a basketball player. his, his IQ is his basketball IQ that is is just he, he doesn't scare you his pick and roll defensive IQ and, and he also shot he shot two for seven last night. But he does one thing better than like anyone else. And yeah, that's collect the offensive rebound. And so it doesn't it doesn't worry you if the ball goes back to Drummond. But if he just tips the ball back and gets another possession and LeBron and AD are on the floor, I think... Uh, ha, ha, what do you think about this? Because some people brought mm-hmm. it up last night. DeAndre Ayton match up on Anthony Davis uh, throughout the game. Is, is that what Monty is going to do? And then... I mean, either you start Jay Crowder on Drummond and try to somehow box it, it's not gonna work. Or you bring in Kaminsky pretty quickly. I mean, the the issue is all of the potential running mates next to Aiton in that scenario have some sort of flaw, whether it's inability to protect the rim or inability to get the rebound or, or whatever, there's there's a lot of potential issues. And you run the risk of putting Aiton into into early foul trouble on A D if he's single
1: coverage. Okay, so in that case is Mikhail Bridges is, is is guarding LeBron. Right? That that's that's sort of the uh, point. good point. Um It's tough, man, because LeBron is very strong. No, you're right,
2: Mikhail can't guard LeBron. So it's gonna be Jay Crowder on LeBron.
1: And then Mikhail man, on, on Drummond. Here here's what I like about We that. match up
2: so bad against this team. And 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 look, <laughs> I, I we need everyone to start does. Talk- we need to start talking about offense soon because the offense I'm not as worried about so we need to talk about
1: that cuz I feel like wh- we're let me just, too let me much doom and gloom over, right now. But defensively let, this is a Let very me go bad over that matchup. scenario. Yeah. Here's what I like about that. Is if you can find ways to force the ball to Drummond and they sort of force them to try and attack that mismatch, that actually benefits the Suns in a lot of ways because that's not good offense <laughs> for no, the but Lakers. They're, they're not going to Anthony Davis and and, and
2: LeBron, you know, Davis was really good last night, but like a lot of his offense is still going to be. Ironically, it's kind of the thing we, he's a much, much more refined offensive player than Aiton. So understand that when I'm about right. to make this comparison. But Anthony Davis would rather take a contested 18 foot mid-range jump shot over two guys than, than pass the ball to Andre Drummond in those sorts of situations. So right. I don't think there's any sort of situation where like the ball is getting funneled to Drummond. I don't think that's something you could do as a viable strategy.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, in that case, maybe they find ways to take him out of the game and and attack in other ways because, yeah, I think you're right about that. I think that the Suns should start. I don't think that the Suns in any way should go to a big lineup to start any series against the Lakers if they're matched up against the Lakers. I think they need to start with their best five players, which includes Jay Crowder on the floor, Mikael Bridges on the floor. So that means that those two guys are at the forward positions. And you start there. And you see what happens in that scenario. You find, you know, maybe you put Mikhail Bridges on AD to start and see if he can just bother him enough to force him into shots that he does not want to take and see where you go from there. And then you have Jay Crowder and, and you just figure it out from there. You have uh, DeAndre Ayton in that help defense position. Yeah. And, Maybe you give up some offensive rebounds in that case, and you can adjust as this, as the series goes on. But I think you need to start with your best five players, the players who are playing the best together at this point of the season.
2: Yeah, I think you just honestly, I think you just kind of put Aiton in sort of a loose role as a just a constant help defender, um, understanding that he can he can uh, he can't leave Drummond like wide open in the dunker spot, but he can kind of leave him like. You know, you'll put Crowder as your primary defender on LeBron. He'll do his best. You have Mikhail Bridges front uh, AD in the post and kind of have Aiton come from behind uh, if he gets that post positioning. And then, you know, someone's going to be in the corner, whether it's it's probably, it depends where they're situated on the court, but either Booker or Paul, whoever's left over can come over to tag Drummond underneath the rim and... That's going to be your best chance, and you got you just got to hope that not too many offensive rebounds go to Drummond. But you're probably going to give up a lot of offensive rebounds that way, man. It's just there's no easy there's there's no easy solution here.
1: Yeah, there there really is no easy solution, but they they could do a lot better defending that three point shot. Like that would have made a huge difference. There, the level of concern with other guys on the floor was high enough that. Like, Anthony Davis could have shot, he he scored, what, 42 points, his season high, one of his best games of the of the year. Um, and, you know, that could have happened and the Suns could have still won had they defended the three-point shot a little bit better. There was ben, just too many open shots at that point.
2: Ben McLemore, by the way, was the other guy I was thinking of earlier. Like, I couldn't even remember who who their ninth or tenth man was um, off the bench. Yeah, it's like him and KCP and Wes Matthews, I think it was KCP hit some ridiculous shot where the Suns, Double covered AD really well for like pushed him out to where he was like 20, 22 feet out with a few seconds left on the shot clock. And then he just turned around, he pitched it back to KCP, threw up a wild three, went in. This was in like the late third quarter, put the Lakers up by like 20 points. And I was like, yeah, they're hitting bullshit. It's over. Like there's just, you know, th- there was some stuff that there was nothing you could do about it last night. But again, yeah. the difference between this team and the Clippers is the Clippers are a 42% three-point shooting team. They're among they're the best corner three-point shooting team, I think possibly of all time. Don't quote me on that, but they're very close. Like they just have shooter after shooter. If you come to double Kawhi and Paul George, there will always be an open shooter in the corner. That's how the Clippers play, and so they'll destroy you with that. With the Lakers, you can
0: afford to to send heavier help at their superstars. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: And if Wes Matthews is going to beat you in a playoff series, and Wes Matthews is going to beat you in a playoff series. But last night yeah. they shot 43%. They're not going to do that for an entire series, probably.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and it's going to be a tough, no matter what you do, it's going to be tough. You just have to be very, very, very disciplined in order to defend a team this well. Let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about offense and then some of the games that are coming up uh, now to close out the season. We'll be right back. The
2: economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. And it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. Marketplace breaks it all
0: down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous
1: Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history relive their decade of dominance in the new showtime sports documentary the kings a four-part series premiering sunday june 6th only on showtime okay sam you mentioned that you wanted to talk about the offense and i think that's a conversation we should get into now Uh, We talked about it. They're not, they didn't show their cards, right? They didn't do the things that they normally do in this specific game as often as they normally do them. So I think that was a strategic plan uh, by the Suns, just in case they do end up matching up against them in the first round. But what is it specifically that stood out to you that you wanted to talk about? I I mean, from a player, from an individual standpoint, let me just say first
2: campaign was amazing. Uh, he, He was amazing. I I don't even know if there's any analysis to say there other than he was just lightning in a bottle last night. And we've been talking about when he had a career high. So it kind of sucks that his night was was taken away, ripped away from him like that. But
1: let me just say to add to that a career high for him. He's also insanely efficient on the season. You know, he's only averaging something like eight points per game uh, on the season, which his impact is so much far beyond that specific uh, metric. That's why box scores are useless. Uh, but a 59% true shooting percentage as a guard. And about half of his shots this season have come completely unassisted. That means that on a team with Devin Booker and Chris Paul, he still has found a role creating his own shot consistently enough that he is an absolute threat off the bench. And to be able to do that all and still have a true shooting percentage that's almost 60%. It's just insane. It's it's one of the best. He's been one of the best bench players this season. We talked about early on. We talked about six man of the year. Dario Saric was making a case for himself. That fell off a cliff at some point this season. But Cameron Payne, the guy that we were most worried about, the position I think that we were the most worried about at the beginning of the season, has been consistently great uh, for this team, doing something that other players cannot do. And if you look at the future for this team, if he's signed to back up Chris Paul again next season, that's a potential six man of the year in the future. I think he's he's been insanely good. Yeah, might be. He's still he's still pretty young. He could get better, um, and he still
2: continues to add tricks to to his bag. I mean, he had a couple yeah. of step back threes last night. That that again, it was like you know people. It didn't feel like people were too excited about it watching online. Uh, just keeping up with you know what people are saying on Twitter. We kind of had the wind out of our sails at that point. I mean, we were down by, yeah. like, 18 when he went on his crazy run, and then he, he basically single-handedly brought the Suns back to within, like, 10, yeah. right? <laughs> and then was, was taken out for Devin Booker, who had a bad game. Um, but, yeah, I just want to start off this segment, I guess, by by shouting out campaign. He's going to be crucial well, you know- in, in the playoffs. Sorry, yes. I know
1: you want to talk about other things, though. But I, think I don't that want to talk about said- how
2: Booker was bad. I want to talk about good things first. Well, I, I, well to-
1: I do want to talk about Booker, though, because I think he found ways to be efficient in ways that he's going to need to do in the playoffs. But okay. Cameron Payne also, in this game, perfectly showed the importance of being able to shoot when guys go under your screen. Mm. This level of playoff defense... Uh, this the when they're fully locked in like this, there are times where guys are just open uh, behind the three-point line after dribbling a few times and to be capable of shooting that shot consistently is vital for this team and it's, and it's something that he's going to have to take a lot of those in the playoffs because a lot of other things will not be open and to be able to hit a pull-up three-pointer when guys go under on screens is going to be important. It's nice that he has that in his bag and, and there are times where if Devin Booker and Chris Paul can start hitting those two on a consistent basis in the playoffs, which they ne- haven't necessarily done this season, uh, but there are times where they can do it over and over again in good games. I think that's going to be huge.
2: I think Campaign is no doubt a better pull up three point
1: shooter than Booker at this point, right? Yeah. Like I, a- I'm not sure what the stats are, but I imagine that it is better. I mean, he shoots, he's shooting 51% from three in the last 10 games. <laughs> so he's just been uh, yeah I fire. think it, I think it's just obvious like this guy might be your
2: best pull up three-point shooter and we talk so much about how important that is um before we get to Booker we will talk about him Mikael Bridges uh it it becomes clear and clear every game I know we already talked about his impact in that Cavs overtime, but uh Aiton is going to be a defensive x-factor for the Suns of the playoffs Mikhail Bridges is going to be the offensive X factor, and that is because as more and more teams wake up to to the fact that they want to trap Booker and Ball, and they want to get the ball out of their hands, someone else needs to make reads, someone else needs to make plays. Monty talks a lot about uh, the idea. Usually, when he's referring to Bigs, he talks about guys like Frank and Dario as like connective tissue. That's what they are for the offense. They get to the middle of the floor. They can uh, they can drive to the basket. They can put the ball on the floor, but they can also pass out. They can you know, make reads and and that's kind of connects the offense all in one way. Well Mikhail Bridges, he needs to play that role in the starting lineup. And over the past ten games we're we're really seeing him do that. There were plays last night, um I posted one on Twitter this morning where it, it was just like a set that you run for Devin Booker, where uh you had uh Chris Paul playmaking for the post you had Aiton set a pin down for Bridges, who came up to the top of the key. While he was doing that, I think Dario Saric was on the court, and he was cutting towards the basket. Defense got a little bit confused. Aiton set a really good, strong screen. Bridges comes around, takes one step, rises up for the midrange. But while he's doing that, Booker is in the corner, just sitting there. And it's like the, the, it's a total role reversal of what we're used to seeing out of these two guys. You're used to seeing those sorts of plays, pin down set for Booker. He does his thing in the mid-range while Bridges is just there in case a, a three-point shot opens up in the corner. To see that Mikhail can kind of do that in the rhythm of the game and, and look really comfortable doing it now um, is going to take a huge load off those other guys for the Suns. It's going to be massively important. He also had four assists last night. Um, a couple really good finds to Aiton. I think one even kind of driving towards the basket in a pick and roll scenario. The more that he can add this stuff to, to his palette, he's he's just going to be huge. And, um, yeah, I mean, I we can't have a contract uh, conversation right now. It's 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 too early. But, like, in the playoffs. You make
1: your money in the playoffs. You make you your make money your in money. the
2: playoffs. And if Mikhail averages, you know, 15 points and, uh, you know, three or four assists per game, in the playoffs, which based on his recent play, it looks like he's totally capable of doing. And if he continues to do it, not just by hitting spot-up threes, but by doing some of the fancier stuff that we're seeing, he's he's definitely going to earn his money. And and more importantly, though, the Suns need him to do that if they want to win games. That's, that's the big point here. And it's looking like he's capable of it.
1: Yeah. I think you mentioned uh, the double-figure streak. How many games was that now that you Uh, said he
2: scored? I think eight in a row, and I think also like 11 of his last 12 or something at this point.
1: Yeah, I just want to just shout out the fact that the traps are a big reason why that that's happening. Uh, You know, Devin Booker uh, being forced to get rid of the ball out of his hands, and Chris Paul sort of, he doesn't always shoot, right? He's going to find the next guy uh, in that ball rotation, and that's commonly... Mikhail Bridges, and if they're if they're trapping, and Mikhail Bridges catches it at the three point line, if he's open, he's going to shoot it. But commonly, there's a defender that's out of position that's sprinting back to try and contest his three, and his ability to attack that closeout, and uh, you know whether it be playmaking, which I think he's gotten better at finding DeAndre Ayton in particular, who's you know most of his field goals are unassisted, so he needs that, uh, or shooting. That mid range shot, which is, I haven't looked up the stats recently, but I imagine that his mid range stats are like completely off the charts at this point because I just feel like he never misses that shot, whether it be from 11 feet or 17 feet. It just seems like that goes in uh, very consistently. But I just want to say that this, he's able to do that and he's needed in that way because of how Devin Booker has been defended. And, you know, the conversation of Mikhail Bridges and what he's doing and Devin Booker and his scoring sort of going up and down in specific games are very, very much connected because what happens is uh, they just overplay Devin Booker in a lot of ways. As soon as he catches it, two or three bodies are coming at him and he's forced to get rid of it pretty quickly. If he can back up and reattack, attack uh, he will try. And I think in the Lakers game in particular, he struggled in the first half and I won't say that, it, that like the efficiency struggled because he just didn't shoot a lot. So I think that it's tough to to measure efficiency on a low number of attempts. And in the second half, he found ways to use their level of aggressiveness against him. I think he ended the game with 13 free throws. And that's exactly what he needs to do, especially in a game like that where the refs are clearly trying to blow their whistle as much as possible. And, you know, he ended the game, I think, with 21 points on 14 shots or something like that. Still ended up a very efficient game. But I think this shows the importance of having a game plan like that before the game starts rather than adjusting on the fly because you can get in a deep enough hole that once you find ways to be effective, once you find ways to be efficient, it might be a little too late in order to catch up and actually win the game. Yeah, it's... Yeah, that's a more
2: optimistic view <laughs> than what I have right now. I would say. What do you, What is your view? I mean, uh, if we're talking about book, so much of his game speaks for itself. the The finishing with either hand speaks for itself. the The mid range, um, where he's extraordinary. Uh, I think it's a good point that you that you brought up. Thirteen free throws last night. Very impressive. Very impressive for him. He doesn't usually get to the line that much, um, but without the threat of the three. Being where we want it to be, it's not that Book is not a great player. He is a great player, but I mentioned something last night about how the best players, you know, the types of players that it takes to beat the Lakers, the defending champs in a series, can rise above a a double coverage to an extent and just make difficult shots. We've seen him do it before, and I'm not saying he can't do it in a playoff series. Because just before this game, um, I think he didn't play super well. He didn't play super well in the next game either. But just before those two games, he had four straight games of 30-plus points on, like, 55%, 60% shooting every night. So we're going to get great games out of Booker in the playoffs. But it's just—I um, I did see a lot of blame put on Booker for last night. And and I kind of agree with it. I mean, yes, he was trapped. Yes, it is difficult to navigate offense in the trap. But— uh, But at the base level, like, Mikael Bridges can only step up so much. Even DeAndre Ayton can only step up so much. And certainly he could step up a lot based on what we saw uh, uh, yesterday. I think we should talk about him next. Um, But if Booker doesn't make the tough shots, the Suns don't go anywhere at the end of the day.
1: I want want to push back on this right away. Because you're saying that the players that it takes to beat the Lakers are... I want to know who you're talking about when you mention the players that you're talking about specifically the three point shot because I just don't. agree uh, well, with
2: that. No, 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 no. I'm not talking necessarily. I mean, he shot five for fourteen yesterday, and and he only took one three, so it wasn't just the three. I'm talking about Devin Booker is a as an all star caliber player, but is he? You know, I mean, is you he need a, who? You need a top ten player. You need a, yeah, but who you, are you talking about? You need that, a the- you need a Kawhi Leonard type scorer you know, to, to, to who's like a pure triple threat. From, or, it, you know, it doesn't even necessarily have to be. You need a guy who is who's is just really amazing at one thing. Like, it could be a yes, Steph Curry-level scorer.
1: But the, I don't think that the, the the Warriors have a chance against the Lakers in this specific... No, that, because, that's why no, because the rest of the... It. No, 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 Mike, but, okay, you're getting defensive. It's because
2: the rest of the Warriors suck.
1: I'm saying... Well, no, it's, here's, here's why I'm pushing back on that. Because I yeah. think commonly people will say we need Devin Booker to do this or that or that like other players who do that but then they never point out those other players because those other players those, other players, them those well.
2: other players are every first option who's won a championship in the past 20 years except for like the 04 Pistons it's right. you know Booker not being a top 20 guy but maybe not a top 10 guy that's what it is
1: okay i can see and i can see the argument for that i just always think it's more important to I just don't like when people talk in vague they, they just get too vague okay. in these conversations and i think it's way more important to be specific because if you're too vague it's not actually analysis i think it because it becomes a little bit of like these sports center colin cowardy. Cliches. yeah i get it I yes get it. and i i don't think it means anything at all when people don't get specific about this conversation because i think you it i'm not saying to be let specific.
2: me be clear i'm not saying Devin Booker is not an alpha. I don't know if he has the clutch gene. You know, I'm just saying. Like, I wish I wish his
1: game was a little bit more consistent from night to night. I think if you're talking like Kawhi Leonard is a good example. If you're talking about can Devin Booker do what Kawhi Leonard did for Toronto in the playoffs offensively, and I, I think he absolutely can. Like, I I I just don't know that the game needs to be boiled down to the Suns would be better just if Devin Booker hit more pull-up threes. Would that help? Yeah, but I also think that there are elements of his game that are going to be vital in the playoffs, and I think too many people will judge based on this Lakers game alone. It's just not analysis. (laughs) I get frustrated when it's just not analysis. I mean, I'm not not judging on the Lakers
2: game alone. I'm judging on the fact that this, I mean, he's you know, like his handle could be tighter too. Look, this is in no way did I intend for this to become a shit on Devin Booker fest. It's just here's well, here's what I'll. There say. are weaknesses what, in his game that that will what be exploited. Do you think,
1: yeah. What do you think he could have done specifically? Because I have thoughts too against the Lakers that would have made him specifically more effective in that game.
2: I mean, I'm kind of just saying that it's it's up to the law of variance. I'm. J- it's just about difficult shot making. There's nothing tactically that I think he could have done differently yesterday. Although I'm curious to hear your thoughts of what you think he could have done differently, because nothing stood out to me.
1: Well, there's sp- specific things he can do on tra- traps that I think would help: uh, moving the ball faster on traps, and then immediately trying to relocate, uh, a la Steph Curry. So um, off-ball movement. So there sure, are times yeah. where he catches the ball, the trap comes, and what Devin Booker's become very good at is navigating a trap because he has ways he ball fakes commonly right to another guy and that gets the second defender to drop back a little bit and then he'll sort of do the drive around guys into the middle of the floor and then his ability to create from the middle of the floor is where uh, he's able to attack those specific traps now sometimes he can get to the rim sometimes he'll pass out to guys i think there was some fumbled passes to deandre ayton that you need to find ways to better get him the ball I also think that other players need to find ways to come out into to create essentially a passing lane for Devin Booker when he drives. Because what happened in the Lakers game is three defenders were surrounding him at that point. The only passing lane he had was to DeAndre Ayton on a bounce pass, which is not really, as we've learned, is not the most effective way to get him the ball. So finding ways to uh, get rid of the ball a little quicker and relocate. And then the second thing is exactly what he did in the second half was using their aggressiveness against him. What he did commonly, and I think this is to, to the point we made earlier about the Suns not doing their regular offense here, is when he's coming off sort of a horn set or like he's able to catch the ball sort of in that mid-range area and then attack in that mid-range area, he got fouled a lot. So they waited until the second half to make that sort of adjustment to get him the ball in those areas instead of behind the three-point line. And getting fouled a lot, I think, will make a bigger difference for him. Being like, I mean, he still had an efficient game. It's just you force the ball out of his hands enough. It's up to other guys to make shots. I still think that.
2: I mean, if you're if you're looking in pure efficiency terms, Chris Paul didn't get to the free throw line once. So yeah, if you yeah. want to argue about contact avoidance, Booker's not your biggest issue.
1: Yeah, but and
2: and it's it but was he, a will still, game he will still he will still have games in the. I will just point out he will still have games in the playoffs where he runs into heavy. Uh, help at the nail and turns the ball over five six seven times
1: (laughs) he will do that yeah and that will that absolutely will happen And, and in a sense he's not he's nothing like Chris Paul in that way although Chris Paul was the one with five turnovers in this specific game it was a game for Chris Paul you know we don't talk about him because he's oftentimes just does not make mistakes but I think in the games where the Suns have struggled the most it's often when Chris Paul is not making his most difficult shots and that's another example of what you talked about with Devin Booker where and we've talked about it all year ultimately when the defense is is ratcheted up to the highest level a lot of how good the Suns will be will be based on how often Chris Paul and Devin Booker make really difficult shots in isolation and in this game Chris Paul did and he had 13 points on 13 shots and he had 10 assists like it's a weird time where I feel like at some point in this game I thought Chris Paul's not having a very good game and then I look at his assists and he has 9 assists and it's like, well, he is still doing something here. Uh but the 5 turnovers is tough. What did you think of Chris Paul against the Lakers? Uh, he he was fine.
2: He didn't he didn't stand out. There was one stretch I think maybe in the second quarter, I can't remember anymore, where he kind of hit the isolation shots, the mid-range pull-ups that we're used to seeing. Um other than that, he he was not he did not really boost the Suns' offense in any noticeable way to me, beyond what he normally does. Not that he didn't do anything at all. Um, I want to talk about Aiton. Can we talk about Aiton? Yeah. You mentioned people have to come up and give Booker. They've got to give Booker a passing lane. Three, I I cannot wait to see the discourse online from NBA Twitter if DeAndre Ayton goes into a playoff series and averages 6 points and 6 rebounds a game. Right. And that's that's not to say that he was horrendous last night because actually I think it's the contrary. Ayton only took 3 shots in the game. His first shot was like a couple minutes in. Then he didn't he didn't attempt another shot until the middle of the fourth quarter. But when he did, I think it's so important to stress this. It's it's not that the Suns like weren't trying to feed Aiden the entire game. It's that he flipped a switch and he came up and made himself available. And there's there's very much a facet of that game um of being able to do that 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 people don't recognize. Like the last couple of attempts that Aiton had in the game, one where he just he just demanded the ball from Mikael Bridges, who's on the perimeter, gave him a post-touch, and he just went to work on Andre Drummond, put a spin move right into him, put his elbow in a little bit, it tucked beautiful. it in, and then went up and under. And and yeah. Drummond is that guy where you can toast him in, in the post like that. Ayton... I, he, he's not going to be your, your primary or secondary, maybe even tertiary offensive option in the playoffs. We don't know. He's not he's not going to be a guy you want to take 15 shots per game necessarily unless they're right at the rim, created in the flow of the offense, pick and roll offense like we saw in the Knicks game. But in games like this, he needs to find ways to go and get himself a touch beyond just getting an offensive rebound because he was invisible for a lot a lot of the game. And I don't think that was necessarily the fault of Paul or Booker.
1: No, and and credit to the Lakers. I think defensively, I thought they did a really good job. The the Suns actually did outscore the Lakers in the paint. I think in the final score of the game, uh, and the Lakers just hit more shots, they more difficult shots, and that's kind of what led to a win for them. But I think you're you're absolutely right. It's it's a level of focus for him, and I think in this, and we didn't talk about the refs. Like we don't, we don't necessarily have to. We, t- uh, we we'll talk can. about it on Twitter. We often don't talk about them on the podcast. Because- I'll just say, here's what I'll say.
2: Y- you you are much more anti-ref than me. So <laughs> if you want yeah. this to be, look, the refs made bad calls last night. I, I definitely think that. I also think that the Suns are have been really bad, and we've talked about it all season long. Have been really bad at generating contact and getting to the free throw line. And the Lakers play Anthony Davis at Power Forward. If you play a series against this team, it's not just the fact that they're in LA. It's also the fact that they're built to get to the free throw line and you aren't. And so every single game, we should expect that the Lakers will have more free throws than us. Does that mean that there weren't bad calls? No, there were, there were definitely bad calls. 29 fouls on the Suns is ridiculous and and there was a whistle every like 30 seconds last night it felt like um, especially the Suns average I, I looked it up the Suns average 19 fouls per game to get 29 was the third most they've had all season and in the only two games where they had more fouls committed than that they lost both of those games too so it's just it's really hard to play a good game of basketball when the officials are gonna are gonna call fouls on you that many times but you have to prepare for a certain level of physicality from the Lakers like they're gonna get you they're gonna work you in and they're gonna get you to line a certain amount and you know I think it's fine to say oh the the refs are, are dicking us over um and and they swung the game if it's like a five or six seven point game if it's like a few possessions but when you're down 20 in a game that's not the refs that's there are things that you can do to get back in the game that it's your fault and you need to take ownership over those flaws so like, I think there's there's two sides to it.
1: I completely agree in that if the, Suns, if the Suns play against essentially anyone in the playoffs, the likelihood is that they're going to shoot less free throws than the other team. But it's how they play. And the offense tends to work the best when it, the game is not stopping over and over again. So they prefer that it's sort of more of a flow than this constant stop, stoppage of play because of free throws. But look, there is a history of the Lakers getting more calls than other teams in the playoffs. <laughs> Than other Pacific that's, Division teams in the playoffs, yes. yeah. You know, it's not like it's completely out of the question. So that's something that we're going to have to talk about I, it, it, I, during the playoffs. But but I hate, I get... hate, hate that
2: mm-hmm. I know I will be looking up the the official assignments before yeah. each game in the playoffs and, like, analyzing the stat. I think there's a place where you can look up ref stats for each person. Yeah, yeah. That sucks. I, I hate that I'm going to do that. I know I'm going to do
1: that. They're behind a paywall, by the way, which means I really guess have to pay for that. Yeah, I did
2: not see the things you don't know when you don't make the playoffs for ten years. Like you could I would I've never I, before. I would never use that for a regular season game because, like, who yeah. gives a shit? <laughs> yeah, but now I like if if we're if Chris it's Paul for gamblers. is gamblers. Yeah,
1: it really is. It's for gamblers. If Chris Paul is being officiated by Scott Foster, we already know that. We already know there's a slight disadvantage already, and it could yeah. be a huge disadvantage at some point, but. I tried not to talk about the refs on the podcast because on the podcast we try to focus on analysis, analysis, analysis. But there is one thing that is analysis when it comes to the refs. If DeAndre Ayton gets in early foul trouble, it throws him off for the game a little bit. And in this game, he got in early foul trouble. He had two quick fouls. One of them was very soft. And I, I'm i not surprised that he ended the game with a lower like lower box score stats than a regular game because of those early uh, fouls in in the game because i do think that throws him off a little bit obviously the early minutes affects it just in general and maybe he ends up with less minutes in the overall game because of that foul trouble but i think commonly it just throws him off a little bit in the game so the suns need to find and this is why we talked about what they could do to start games and that's not necessarily go big right away with eight and on ad Uh, Assuming they end up matching up against them in the playoffs. But it's just you have to find a way to avoid those fouls. I think some of the fouls they called in this game, they're not going to call in the playoffs. Especially some of the ones Caruso was getting. You know, that's the type of foul that they just don't call in the playoffs. Lots of the refs that have been around forever, they've seen the league for a long time. They just don't call those specific calls. So I think it will be different in the playoffs. uh, But you you have to find a way to keep DeAndre engaged throughout the game. And obviously the playoffs will be a little better because everyone's going to step up a little bit, but I think avoiding that early foul trouble will help a lot with that. Remember,
2: uh, just quickly, remember when we talked a week or two ago. I can't remember anymore, but uh, about those flash cuts to the to the middle of the floor for like Mikhail yeah. Bridges, <clears throat> he flashes and he gets yeah. the ball, makes an easier entry pass to Aiton, who gets a lob. We talked about that for a reason. The, the reason I want to bring it up, Anthony Davis, I think I counted like at least two, if not three dunks that he got last night off of doing exactly that yeah. with like Alex Caruso. So it's not just something that the role players do. The absolute best superstars at the big man position in the NBA need a little bit of help from their teammates. But it's important that the nuance in the discussion is it's important that that doesn't just fall on Paul and Booker because if Booker's getting trapped around a screen, there's not much he can do to chuck a 30 foot, you know lob uh to Aiton who's all the way at the rim this is where Mikael Bridges comes into play again and is very important continuing to make those types of reads um and and those high IQ plays is going to be super important at involving himself in the mid-range area but also involving Aiton it's something that the Lakers do it's something that the Suns can emulate
1: yeah that'll be interesting to see how they get DeAndre Aiton involved in that specific matchup because I think there are ways and I like I just, they just didn't do a lot of the stuff they normally do, like we've been talking about throughout this podcast. And I think there are ways to get him involved. And uh, yeah, like I said, that early foul trouble is something that they really have to avoid. It throws them all off. And and we've talked about it time and time again. He's going to be needed. Like We're going to need him to play close to 40 minutes a game, probably in the playoffs, in certain games, because there's no one else on the team that does the things that he does. Specifically... On defense, but also even just screening on offense. Like he's the biggest body that you could put out there to set screens for the guys that we need to be effective in the playoffs. I cannot believe how much
2: time we just spent analyzing the offense in a game where Monty threw it intentionally.
1: <laughs> well, there's still it I mean, was all Lakers, it was all
2: in the plan all along. So who cares? The
1: Lakers are a very good defensive team. <laughs> like even yeah, they are. when this, even when the Suns are running the plays that they run. Uh, it's going to be tough, and you're adding, and we're not even talking about the fact that LeBron James didn't even play. LeBron, if he's healthy, is not just one of the best offensive players of all time and uh, one of the smartest offensive players of, of all time. He'll memorize every single one of your plays that you're running against him, and he can be that disruptor defensively as well, especially if they find ways, which I think they will, to have LeBron and ADs just sort of roaming off the ball and just sort of fucking everything up that you're trying to do. That's what they're gonna do. Uh, so it's gonna be tough, and you know, so that that means that we do have to analyze it. But yeah, you're right. It's gonna look completely different, and I think in a lot of ways that I think a, a, not to insult people, but like an average fan doesn't really pick up on the plays that they normally run, or even defensively the schemes. Like they went to a zone quite a bit in this game. I'm not sure that they're gonna do that against the Lakers in the playoffs things are just going to be dramatically different right yeah you need to be a weirdo who's like a basketball
2: weirdo online in order to pick up on specific sets and whatever you need to be really suck i mean they (laughs) kind of do you need to be like really interested in that stuff and i i never would fault anyone for for not being interested in that stuff but uh those people who do pay attention to that yeah, the the Suns will will have different tricks up their sleeve next week or or a week and a half from now, whenever it would be.
1: So the Doesn't, next four, the last four yeah. games: Warriors, Blazers, Spurs, Spurs. I don't
2: care. Yeah, Let me tell I, you right now. Yeah, we don't care. No. <laughs> well, here's
1: here's I think the interesting part: we're gonna finish the season and not know who the Suns are playing in the first round of the playoffs. That's just gonna happen. So that means these four games. Whatever happens, happens. The Suns seem to be, like I've said, locked into the... They, I think they only need to win one more game and they get the second seed. They're not going to drop below that. Um, so assuming they do that in the next few days, then we'll know sort of where they are. They still have a chance to catch the one seed depending on how Utah finishes the season. It's just the most likely outcome is the two seed. So at some point, maybe they'll rest, guys. Uh, you know, there's no real reason, especially a back-to-back on the Spurs to end the season. There's no reason to play the guys in that last game. But then we have to wait till the play-in in in order to know who the Suns are playing. So we're going to come back next week. We're going to have an episode that sort of talks about the end of the season. But once the play-in is over, then we're really going to dive in into some playoff analysis. It might be repeating a lot of the stuff. We're really drilling down on some of the stuff we talked about if they end up against the Lakers. But it could be different. could be any one of those teams that's still lined up in that play-in. Anything else before we go here, Sam? Time to have some some film sessions, probably. I'm probably gonna have to
2: spend a lot of the next week just like really watching the Lakers I I just I hate that that's the likely matchup but it yeah. is and we got to be prepared for it
1: and it'll look a lot different but we will be back soon thank you everyone for listening hopefully we talk some of you off the ledge a little bit